Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here, Minisode number 31, uh, and our first recording in quite a while. I believe the last thing that was put out there was uh, Minisode 30, in which we talked about Casablanca, Josh's favorite film of all time, and that was on New Year's Eve. Uh, Josh just got back into town. Um, I wanted to try and record something between then and now, but it just didn't happen. So sorry for the delay uh, in something, but uh, but we're back now, and we're going to uh, be recording something pretty much uh, pretty much every week. That's that's the plan. So I will now welcome in, fresh from his thirteen week long vacation, Josh Long. Josh, good morning, everyone. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Glad to hear it. Had a nice trip. Got to see some family. Yeah. Some friends. Got to eat some food. Did you get anything good for Christmas? What was your favorite thing you got for Christmas? Oh, I got so many great things. I don't know. I got an Apple TV. I'm enjoying that. Okay. It's a lot of fun. Fair enough. Some DVDs. Some DVDs Blu-rays. or Blu-rays. There we go. Mostly Blu-rays, but I got a few DVDs. Mm. I assume you kind of resent those people because the, they're not in the you know it's 2014. Everybody DVD people, I know. Come on, what is it? 2011? <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, okay, so um, I'm trying to think if there's any kind of uh, announcements or anything. Not none that I can think of. Uh, I did. Uh, I believe the most recent post at more than one lesson.com is, uh, I, I do this thing every year, uh, on the first of the year in which I talk about the movies that are now 10 years old. Um, and then I, it started as a way of me just making myself feel old and getting nostalgic, but it actually has changed into, uh, different things, uh, lately. And now it's more just using film to reflect on where I am now compared to where I was 10 years ago. And so in 2004, that is the year I got engaged. That is the year I graduated college. And that is the year that I started working uh, at Blockbuster. Ten years later, uh, I am – maybe I'm utilizing my film degree. I'm not really sure. Uh, and I am married for eight and a half years and Blockbuster is no more. So it, it's kind of interesting and to think and to look back on the movies that in the midst of all of this, the movies that were very important to me at the time. So Did you, it, would you ever have guessed that your marriage would outlive blockbuster video? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so, um, so there's, I, I put together a, a little list of the movies that are now 10 years old. And so uh, you can find that at morethanonelesson.com and uh, feel free to comment on it. So, okay, we're done with our top tens. That mini-sode series is over. Done. Over and done with. And those, those ten movies are, that's set for life. Yeah. We can't change. If we see any more good ones, they're, they're going to have to not be as good as these ten. Or we start another series. That's going to be impossible. Nope. I, I redo my top hundred like every two or three years. So I think we will do that. No. In like in like another three years, I'll ask you to reassess your top ten. And then we'll do another another series. I'm just gonna pick the same ones and then I'm gonna But we'll you just, have to, you can't say anything the same. Maybe record about them. Or or even better, 
you will have to say different things to my recording of me talking. You'll just take the old recordings and you'll talk to them. You have to say different things, but the conversation still has to make yeah, sense. But we, oh, yeah, but the conversation is – it'll make sense in a certain way because you'll be like, well, the thing that I like about Rushmore, and I'll be like, I hate you. I hate you so much. Stop talking. Stop talking. Yeah. So, so Max Fisher, I hate you. This is a good idea. Yeah. This is going to – This. oh, I'm going to see if that's possible. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, don't get me wrong. I do waste a lot of time. Uh, messing with things uh, online and uh, messing with Photoshop and making like, you know, no. doing fantasy casting and making covers for the Paul Lynn Halloween special. Uh, but this, I think I draw the line at, uh, at doing this project. But what we are doing now, we are starting a new series, as I think we mentioned uh, last, last time. The new series is... Uh, an offshoot of the blog series that Josh was writing called the best of pictures in which uh, this is right. We're right in the middle of Oscar season and uh, full disclosure. We are recording this the day of the most recent uh, Oscar nominations. And so what better time to kick off the best of pictures, mini sewed series. And so we're going to talk about the movies that have won best picture. We are going to start at the most recent and work our way back. This is going to last a, a good long while, so strap in. Not not this discussion, but the series in general will take a while. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Josh, what are we talking about this week? Well, today, this week, we're going to be talking about the most recent film to win Best Picture, which is Ben Affleck's own Argo. Indeed. Yes. Now... I'm just going to go ahead and read the IMDb description because it's right here in front of me. Sure. Argo. Rated R, 120 minutes. Biography, drama, history. I'm not going to read all that. Acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film, a CIA agent launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the U.S. hostage crisis in, in Iran in 1980. All right. Interesting idea. It's an interesting premise for a movie. Uh, and when it won best picture, it was the front runner. People expected it to, though the various, uh, you know, critics awards and stuff leading up to it would not have given you that indication. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, uh, well, the critics awards did even more so than I would have thought. Like when, when I first heard people talking about it as a best picture candidate, yeah. I was like, seriously? I, I didn't even think that seemed like a real possibility. It seemed like a possibility in that Ben Affleck's, his directorial career is has had Oscar recognition. Uh, Gone Baby Gone was nominated for Supporting Actress. The Town was nominated for Supporting Actor, and I think maybe one or two other things. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, and so he seemed like a director that was definitely on the rise I know I myself was always kind of interested in what he was going to do next. I thought the town had a flawed script, but I thought directorially and as an action and suspense director, I thought he was really solid and I loved uh, gone baby gone. But, uh, so I went in, uh, kind of excited to see Argo. It seemed like a neat idea. Um, and unfortunately I, I was disappointed by it. There are people I know that really like the movie and people I know that, I'm not sure if I'd say they hate the movie, but they really don't like it. I'm somewhere in between. 
I wanted mm-hmm. to like it a lot more than I did. There are things I admire about it, but by and large, it feels like kind of a, not a wasted opportunity, but they didn't they didn't do anything remarkably interesting yeah. with the the premise. Yeah, I don't feel like it's a bad movie, but I feel like it has a lot of it just has a lot of flaws, and I think it has more flaws than you would think would be yeah. a best picture winner. And I think the primary flaw. So the film won best picture, editing, and uh, screenplay. screenplay. Right? Original original screenplay. Uh, yes, or maybe no. I don't know. Would it have to be adapted? No, it won it, real it, adapted screenplay because uh, uh, Django Unchained won original screenplay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, one adapted screenplay, and. That one kind of bothers me. Well, I mean, they all do. Maybe not the editing. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, but the screenplay really kind of bothers me because I think the screenplay is where the film breaks down. I think it's acted very well. I think it's shot very well. I think it's edited very well. Um, and and I think directorially it's it's put together very well. But at a screen pa- screenplay level, it's so simple and simplistic mm. and basic. Yeah. And most especially in the in the character. Yeah. Things I think the the and I I for those of you who some some people may have already read the article that I wrote on it for uh for the website this is one of the ones. I think back until how far have we gone back? Braveheart was the last one. I think did so. Did I ever yeah. knew, never do Braveheart? I think I did. I think you did. Yeah. Um up up till then, there's an article for all of them. So for this one, one of the things I talked about and one of the big problems I had with it was, first of all, the main character, who's kind of supposed to be our emotional center to the film, doesn't have a lot to him, doesn't have a lot of depth to him anyway, but then doesn't go through much of a change either. He's um, he's just kind of the good guy at the beginning, and he's the good guy at the end. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really have any flaws. There's kind of a sense that they try to create a flaw by having him be an estranged father, but uh, that's, that's like a, that's like a forced sentimental thing. Cause almost as if they know they need to give him some kind of flaw and just threw that in. It doesn't affect the movie. It doesn't affect really his character. Um, And it's even treated as maybe kind of a noble flaw because he's committed to his job and what's his job? saving lives. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where, yes, obviously he needs to be a better father and all that sort of thing, but he's neglecting his family because of this, which is, I don't think is right, but it's the most understand. It's, it's, it's like, it's like, Oh, this guy's a thief. He, he stole bread to feed his family. It's like, yes, he's a thief, but come on. Right. It's very sympathetic. Yeah. And then similarly with the, uh, with the, the hostages, not not hostages, really, but the the people he's trying to rescue from from Iran, uh, all of them really don't have much to it. The one couple, you get a little bit of what's going on with them. Yeah, there's uh, an actor that we've talked about before who showed up in uh, Killing Them Softly, a guy named Scoot McNary, mm. who, if anybody has an arc in the film, it's him. Because yeah. he basically starts as a guy who is very skeptical of this plan. Mm-hmm. And more than anything, he wants to protect himself, but more importantly, his wife. He seems to feel a certain degree of responsibility for them being in this situation. And his 
him feeling guilty seems to influence why he does he why he's not so eager to go with this plan because he doesn't want to jump at the chance only to get them killed and then be responsible for that so there actually is something to that character and then eventually he's the one who kind of comes spoilers he kind of comes through in the clutch and uh and shows just how on board with the plan he is once he has once he is forced to commit to it so that's about as close as you get to a character with an arc who actually is kind of complex Right, as and he has his, a little bit of a conflict with his wife too. So there's there's something, yeah, there's something there. To, so that those characters have a little bit to them. But then again, I mean, how much of the movie would you say actually features them doing that stuff? I mean, is it ten percent? Is it maybe twenty? I don't know. Maybe twenty, and it's uh, yeah, I, and probably not even that. It's just it's weird. The film is is very much an ensemble cast, which is not the worst thing. I, there are movies that I love that are a big un- ensemble cast. Like your favorite movie, for instance. For instance, <laughs> yes. But you got to know how to use those characters. You got to know how to go from one to the other to the other wh- while giving each one their due, which mm-hmm. you just brought up Nashville. I feel like Nashville does it brilliantly. Um, I feel like I know who a good portion of those characters are. And the ones that I feel like I don't know, I don't know very well. I get the impression I'm not supposed to, or maybe they are by their very nature unknowable. Yeah. Um, and so, whereas this, it felt like I'm supposed to sympathize with these people and I do, but simply by virtue of what they are, not who Mm -hmm. they are. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like they are in danger. So immediately I'm going to sympathize with them. Right. And that's it. And I wonder if uh, this is something I've started to wonder recently because um, sometimes in the mad rush to find things that we can adapt <laughs> into movie stories, uh, we, I think, feel like recently have been picking more uh, historical or ripped from the headlines things that stories where the people who lived those stories are still around and very much alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happens, I think there can be a tendency to be, to feel beholden to those people in some way Yeah, to portray them in a way that they are comfortable with being portrayed. So, uh, you know, the, the real life Tony Menendez, the character on which Ben Affleck is based. Tony, just Tony Mendez. Tony Mendez. Sorry. Um, he's not to my knowledge, one of the Menendez brothers. <laughs> you never know. They were tricky. Um, the uh, but like does that affect it at all does that in some way affect how how flawed they're even allowed to make that character look yeah it's that you know that is something that that can come into it because uh, they are working very much like with the cooperation of the yeah. people that lived through it right and you're not going to make them look like jerks right even if even if from a dramatic and narrative standpoint we're more invested in them if we see flaws that may or may not have existed. The film certainly t- was willing to take liberties with the actual story in order to heighten the drama. But when it came to when it came to the characters themselves, they seem to play it safe. Right, and then the fact that we don't have we don't then have any real villain characters. Like the the bad guys are this faceless separate we don't speak their language we don't ever have any real characters that are on the bad guys side they're just it's it's a force that is there but there's nothing personal about it so when you don't have any characters 
when almost none of your characters have real conflicts or, or uh, flaws within themselves, and then there's no bad guy, really, uh, it just takes a lot of, of the conflict out of the situation. Yeah, I go back and forth on that one, actually, because... And I feel like... Here's the thing. I think if the film was better, and I think if the script was better, this might not be an issue for you, because I do believe that if we're going to be put in the position of certain characters and we're kind of meant to see the events through their eyes. Well, they're in a hostile environment filled with, you know, surrounded by people that do not speak the language they speak and they are in danger and they probably don't see the people that are, you know, endangering them. They probably don't see them as like full fledged people with like motivations and all that, because all they know is I'm in danger and these are the people that are going to maybe hurt me. And so mm-hmm. I am, while I do always like the idea of, you know, a, a recent movie that I think does it really well is Captain Phillips, which has a main character and we see it through his eyes, but we are allowed to see the, for lack of a better term, the villains, as, let's say the antagonists, the antagonists as people, people that are making bad mistakes and that are very dangerous, but still people. But with Ar- with Argo, you know, uh, I do understand. I do understand the idea of making it where we are a hundred percent on board with these guys, uh, with, with the main characters, and the again, not hostages, but whatever you'd call them, um, and everybody around everybody around them is foreign and dangerous. I understand the instinct to do that, but I feel like it takes a better script. And a better, maybe a better director. I think Ben Affleck is a good director, but I think it maybe it takes a more nuanced and complex director to make that work without making everything seem simplistic. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's worth noting. I mean, I just mentioned, I just compared it to Captain Phillips, and I think the, I think the comparison actually bears itself out to a certain extent. Um, Paul Greengrass is a better director than Ben Affleck, and mm-hmm. Billy Ray is a much better writer than. Chris Terrio. Chris Terrio, thank you. And so I think, you know, when you have, frankly, a better filmmaking force behind it, because this cast is great. This is a great cast. Yeah. Um, I think you could probably get a better actor than Ben Affleck in that main role, but he's not a bad, he's not a bad actor. No. Um, and so, like, with this cast and this material, a really great, complex film could have been made. But mm-hmm. this is not it. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like Ben Affleck needs to stop casting himself in his movies. I agree. Um, and I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a pride thing or what, but uh, I think, I think it hurts. I think it hurts the movie. As somebody who back in school when I was making movies, I would regularly cast myself, not because, hey, look at me, but sometimes it was literally out of necessity. <laughs> Out of necessity, well, I, I mean, obviously Ben Affleck can cast anybody he wants, but it's also like, well, I know what I can do. Mm. And so rather than try to find somebody who might be able to do this, I know that I can do it. And so I will. And so I will say that, did you see The Town? Yeah. I thought he was very good in The Town. The, as a, like His performance was very good. And that's the type of character he can play well. Mm-hmm. Even still, well, not this isn't that to say that he's playing that role poorly, but he has this tendency to cast himself as this noble, 
this noble hero and everything right. who doesn't really have a whole lot wrong with him. You know, even in the town, he's a bank robber, but he does it so that he can like help people ultimately. Yeah. Which, and he doesn't want to do this. Like, right. He wants to, he does it so that he can get out of town and put this life behind him. Yeah, absolutely. As, right. as compared to, of course, you know, Jeremy Renner's character who loves doing this and is kind of a wild card and all that sort of thing. Right. So yeah, no, there is that. And, and certainly, uh, if somebody else had played Tony Mendez, you know, the character is, you know, as you can tell from the the name, the character is Hispanic and there's any number of very interesting uh, Hispanic actors who I think just by casting them, it makes the character more interesting and more complex. Somebody, the, the first one I always jump to is Benicio del Toro, who's one of the most interesting on-screen presences I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, you throw him in there. And suddenly, and Benicio del Toro does not have like conventional leading man looks. Also, he doesn't seem the safest. Act. <laughs> he doesn't right. seem like someone I would trust. Put in, thrown into that situation. Exactly. I mean, think about like his performance in Traffic. He's playing about the most noble character in that film, mm. but he still seems like a like a flawed, real person that who doesn't necessarily have everything worked out. Ben Affleck's character seems like he's got everything worked out yeah, and that everything's going to turn out fine because just look at this lantern. Jo- I don't care if he grows a beard or not. Look at this lantern jawed guy. Yeah. And, uh, so that was, a this lantern jawed daredevil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so, um, so, but that's the thing you have a really great cast and, uh, and if there had just been, a better creative force behind it. This would have been just like a really, I think a really, and you know, sorry, I'm, I'm getting distracted, but like directorially, it's not bad for, as far as suspense. There are no. sequences in it that are genuinely very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe it is just the script. Yeah, and admittedly, the uh, a director's ability to recognize when a script needs work. Yeah, that makes a difference too. Um, and so yeah, it's uh, and you know, and that's the thing we're not even touching on what to me is maybe one of the most what could have been one of the most interesting, but winds up being one of the most problematic parts of the uh, aspects of the film, which is a good portion of it takes place in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. because as stated, the uh, the CIA has to basically start production on a film so that uh, the uh, Iranian government will believe their cover story. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tony goes to Hollywood and deals with a producer and, and just starts basically starts making a movie that of course is never going to be made. And he has to go through all the rigmarole of getting this done when of course people's lives literally hang in the balance. Mm-hmm. That could be, like, can you imagine the idea that the longer we take, the more, like, the less likely it is that these people are going to be, live. Mm-hmm. And then in the, and then with that in mind, you get thrown into the middle of Hollywood production, which, which moves notoriously slow. Yeah. There's, there's potential for bleak humor in that. There's potential for intense urgency mm-hmm. and there's the opportunity for the main character to become so impatient that he actually be- could become, I think, 
maybe like a little verbally abusive of the Hollywood people that are helping him out. Yeah. Because he understands the weight of this and the gravity of the situation. None of that comes through no. in the Hollywood section. No. Would you it's say just, that's correct? It's just, it's like a parade of 70s movie goofiness, really. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I don't think, I mean, I, I like Alan Arkin and John Goodman. I think they're both, you know, they're working. Yeah. But it's there's there's just not that much to it. It's just, it, all all around, it's just kind of a lack of substance. Right. Which is too bad because the the core idea is there. It's a good that like just knowing the story, the true story is interesting. Yeah. Um but the movie doesn't do a whole lot more than just tell the true story. Yeah. And you know, there's part of me though I certainly don't think Argo should have won best picture and we'll get more to that in a moment. Um there is part of me that kind of respects if George Clooney had not been one of the producers and if Ben Affleck had not directed it, but the film still got the support that it did, I would maybe respect the Academy a little bit because it is a film that kind of, kind of lacks substance. It's just an interesting story that is more a thriller than anything else, Mm. you know, and the Academy does not often reward that. Usually there has to be, it has to be a movie that is kind of, at least gives the impression that it's about something big, which is why when it get when the the Academy gives an Oscar to say a movie like The Sting, which is just a lot of fun and a really well put together movie of its genre, but is not really attempting to do anything remarkably important socially or or mm-hmm. culturally, um, it's very rare for the Academy to reward that, and so it winds up being kind of refreshing, and so the Academy's in instinct to reward this movie that lacks substance, but could one could make the argument could be viewed as just a really interesting exercise in, th- in the thriller genre. I would, I would actually have a certain degree of respect for it, but there's so much to it. Like there's the nature. First off, there's something that we haven't really talked about, which is the idea of like Hollywood rewarding itself because Hollywood saved the day in this know, movie. It's, it's totally Hollywood saves the day. And it's, uh, it's Hollywood saves the day starring and directed by a major Hollywood insider yeah. and produced by a major Hollywood insider, both of them being Oscar winners. Yeah. So, and yeah, and it's, and that, and look, it's got a historical significance, but we're not really going to explore that. You know, we're just going to, tell this story it's it's just a there's nothing wrong with just telling an interesting story but man oh man it's just like think of some of the best well okay we're i guess i'll I'll transition into this this movie came out the same year as zero dark 30 Mm -hmm. now zero dark 30 we've talked about on the show already and argo takes place much you know decades ago whereas argo takes place a couple years ago um, sorry, Zero Dark Thirty takes place several decades ago. Zero Dark Thirty <laughs> takes place a few years ago. Argo takes place in Brainerd, Minnesota. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, and so, um, so, and that can make a, that can make a big difference in how a filmmaker approaches it. You know, when you make something that takes place 
decades before, you feel like you kind of have a safe view of it. Mm-hmm. And Argo feels very safe. Zero Dark Thirty has an immediacy to it, and it seems like it is trying to say something about something that it, that is going to be remembered as culturally significant mm-hmm. many decades to come. And it's trying to explore, okay, this is a big deal and we're kind of happy about it, but ne- but what now? Yeah. What do we do with this thing that we wanted to happen so badly? And now that it has, is everything fixed? Right. N- not it's, at all. It's a more, that is a more challenging movie. Yeah. The same thing with the master, which also came out that year. The master is a much more challenging movie yeah. because it kind of, raises some questions and doesn't offer a whole lot of answers and has a lot to think about. Yeah. Whereas you don't really need to think in Argo. Yeah. You just, you watch it and you're happy at the end and you're done. Yeah. And you go eat your ice cream. <laughs> Are you required to eat ice cream after you see Argo? I did. I don't know. I oh, okay. Everyone was. No, yeah, just, you need, well, I know what happened when, after you and I saw Argo. I don't remember. Uh, we, uh, somebody, uh, pulled out in front of you as we as that we was after home. seeing argo yeah uh, i hate that movie <laughs> um yeah we gotten uh basically josh and i got in a car accident that was not josh's fault yeah but josh still had to bear the brunt of it because the guy drove away yeah uh hit and run but uh yeah i <laughs> this is all because i said the thing about eating ice cream um but it just seems like it's, it's nice and you do something nice. It's like a, it's just nice. Yeah. That's it's all there is to it. You know, I, I've been thinking about this lately. Like, I don't think every movie is meant to necessarily stick with you. No, but you know, it, some movies are just meant to be kind of fun and interesting while you watch them. And then when they're over, you go on with your life and you've spent two hours being engaged in some way. Right. And that's or escaping. Fine. Yeah. Um, Oddly enough, this year, for me, that's what Gravity is. Gravity is a movie that I feel no desire to return to. Mm. It was a lot of fun, and it was very engaging while I was watching it. I feel like the only way it will be as engaging as it is meant to be is when you see it in a theater. So I'm not going to be buying it on Blu-ray. Yeah. You know, it's just... And there's nothing wrong with any of that, you know? Um, But what I will say is about Argo is... It is. It just astounds me that it was in the contention for best picture at all. Yeah. Given the movie that is there, I recognize there is Hollywood politics behind it uh, as well. That's wanting to recognize the work of a, of an up and coming director who was a big movie star. Although oddly enough, he wasn't nominated for a director, and that's yeah. a nomination I would have been fine with. Oddly, strangely mm-hmm. enough, um, because I think he creates a pretty solid tone throughout uh, minus the Hollywood stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, so I know that there's all that baggage to it, but aside from that, just based on the merits of the film itself, I'm astounded. It was nominated at all, much less one. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that I think most people have forgotten about, even though it came out last year. Mm -hmm. I don't think about it. It seems weird. It seems strange to me that, that we're starting the, starting our best picture series with it. Yeah. You know, and one thing that I, that I, 
when when talking about the best pictures and obviously best picture is not the end all be all there are plenty of movies that were nominated and some that weren't that even weren't nominated that have become way more well no, way better known than the movie that won best picture that year yeah um in a few days from when this posts you can actually go and listen to battleship pretension josh was a guest and we talk about various mistakes that the oscars have made over the years mm-hmm. but um so I know that best picture is not the end all be all, but it is fascinating with what, like we use terms like best picture and that's just the term that we use. Mm-hmm. But when you actually take the time to think what that actually means, Hollywood is saying of all the movies released this year, this was the best one. Yeah. Of all the hundreds that thousands of people put tons of work into, this was the best we put out. Yeah. And then when you look at it in terms of all the best picture winners, and you have this collection of what is it, like 85? Uh, yeah, because I think Wings was close 28, to that. 27? 27, 28. Okay. It's like both. So I think, so if you look at these 85 movies in theory you are date you are de- dealing with the 85 best movies of all time yeah no one would ever think in those terms but that is ostensibly what you're saying when you award something best picture this is the best of this year not necessarily because it's there could be one year that had five movies that were all nominated for the best picture of that year. That's true. But you could go and say those five were the five best movies of all time. So that wouldn't necessarily I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess it's just like, but it is all, saying all these, these together are, and you'll get a, a snapshot of the best every year had to offer. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and I don't know anybody that would ever think about it in those terms. Yeah. It's just a strange, <laughs> it's a strange thing in general to have. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's contention all the time, but this is one of those Argo is one of those years where people are going to complain about it because there were a lot of, uh, I think a lot of people disagree with that being the best movie of the year. And I think if you have that many people that disagree, that's when there are the years that, that people talk about it. So that's when you get your, your Oliver's, your around the world in 80 days, your crash, stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it, and I think it actually does force them to look at the other things that were nominated and, and right. look at that. So right. that means they will be looking at Zero Dark Thirty, Life of Pi, Django Unchained, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of Les Misérables, but they'll look at that as well. They'll look at Silver Linings Playbook. Like just, you know, when you look at a movie and say, "Really, that one?" Then someone. It could be yourself or someone else could say, well, what do you think should have won? And you're like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know. What was nominated? And then you look and chances are you'll see some better movies as a result. So mm-hmm. I do think that the Oscars and just awards in general, you know, they are certainly like very pat, pat ourselves on the back kind of thing. But I think they do serve a function, which is you have the opportunity to look back and you're immediately provided with context into that movie year. Mm-hmm. Um even if it's not what they were intending, yeah. which is, well, this can't possibly be the best movie of this year. So I got to find out what was, Yeah, you know, 
<laughs> Either way, it's, it winds up being, it winds up pointing back to movies. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I think we're going to wrap up there. We've been going long enough. You got, it looks like you got something to say. One more thing I wanted to say. I, I was just looking back at the article that I had written about it. And, and uh, one thing I'd written, I've, I forgot and must have researched this. Um, I wrote about how this is a movie about Hollywood and the Oscars tend to like movies about Hollywood. Uh, apparently the last time that a movie about Hollywood was nominated but lost was in 1950. Sunset Boulevard lost. It lost to All About Eve, which is also about Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> um, or is that more about Broadway? I guess it's, it, but it's show entertainment. Business. Yeah, show business. Show business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing is uh, Sunset Boulevard is kind of about the bad part. Right. <laughs> so All About Eve is oh, as well. Too, is, yeah. But not to the extent that Sunset Boulevard, like that is deeply cynical. Yeah. About how just mechanized and horrifying Hollywood can be. It starts with its main character dead in a pool. Yeah. Yeah. And then a major Hollywood star who has been chewed up and spit out by the system and has gone insane <laughs> yeah. as a result. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, and so here's an example, here's an example of what we're talking about. We're talking about Argo and we wind up talking about a movie that is also about Hollywood and is much better Argo has that's the thing. Even bad movies can start a good conversation about movies, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm excited to do this series. So okay, but I think we'll we'll end there. Um, there will be another episode coming uh, next week. Uh, that one should hopefully be a full episode, though I'm not yet sure what the topic's going to be. We'll see what we can do. So. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. Uh, if you wanted to leave comments about this episode, what did you think of Argo? Do you agree with us? Do you not agree with us? There are plenty of people that don't. Um, you can go ahead and leave it in the comments and, uh, you know, maybe start a sort of a public conversation with other listeners and with uh, Josh and myself. So um, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.